You're listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hi, everybody. This is Claire. Welcome back to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. Um, you get just me this week, so I hope nobody's disappointed not to have Clark with us, but it's me and only me. Um, we are going to talk about something that I'm really interested in because I know we're all seeing a lot of it um, these days, especially for us here in the Washington, D.C. area. But from what I understand for our other members, it's popping up all over the U.S. We'll be talking about what we call micromobility, or as a lot of people know it, those scooters that drive down the sidewalks. Um, before we jump in, I just want to give you a layout. Um, we are going to be joined by one of our members of ACB, Chris Bell. He's going to give us his two cents on the issue. Um, and then we'll also be joined a little later in the um, podcast by another member of ACB who's had her own experiences with some of the difficulties that are presented. So a couple different uh, guests today that will talk about their own input, their own experiences as blind individuals. Um, before we jump in, as always, if you have any questions, feel free to email us at advocacy at acb.org. We want to hear from you guys, so please uh, feel free to email us with any issues. Um, so without further ado, Chris Bell, before we hop into the questions and our conversation, do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Um, my name is Chris Bell. I have worked on environmental access issues for uh, decades with ACB, and I'm also the newly elected president of the North Carolina Council of the Blind. Great. Um, so before we really get into some of these ideas, let's talk about what micromobility is. So again, it's a really fancy term um, that basically means those scooters, those e-scooters, those e-bikes that are on the streets. Um, again, we have them here in Washington, D.C. Do you see them um, pretty prevalent in North Carolina as well, Chris? Yeah, in the bigger cities. Uh, in Raleigh and in uh, Durham, for example, and in Charlotte. Okay. Yeah, I know we hear from our members. Um, they've been seen in Nashville, Seattle, San Francisco. So they're really popping up just about everywhere that we see. Um, so let's jump in. I know that these scooters are presenting some difficulties for people who are blind or visually impaired because they've become a safety hazard. And our second guest today will talk about her own experiences um, with these micromobility devices and how they can be unsafe for people who are blind. So we see them as a safety hazard because even though they're not supposed to, they're often left out in the middle of the sidewalks. Um, so persons who use white canes might come in contact with them, or if their cane doesn't come in contact with them, it can be a tripping hazard. Um, for people who use wheelchairs, they can completely block the sidewalks altogether. So they're really a safety risk. Um, they're often used on sidewalks, so then they can be um, a hazard to people who are walking down the street because they whip by you and can be a safety hazard. So there's a lot of discussion about how they should be parked, where they can and can't be left, should they even be allowed on sidewalks? So a lot of different safety issues that are popping up. Um, so with all those things in mind, Chris, and feel free to give other examples if you know of any safety issues, what kind of policies do you think are needed in order to um, kind of eliminate some of these safety issues that are popping up? Well, this is really the wild west of urban <laughs> transportation. And uh, I, I don't think anyone has really come to grips with it as a policy matter. It seems on the federal level, 
um, the areas where there might be federal regulation would include limits on speed, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps limits on weight, because if you combine speed and weight, uh, the force of an impact on a pedestrian is uh, much more significant than a regular bicycle because these uh, e-bikes weigh more and they travel faster. And uh, also because they're heavier, they're diff more difficult to maneuver and it takes uh, more space in which to stop. Uh, so these are factors that might be taken into account at the federal level. But most regulations are going to occur on the uh, state and particularly local level because everyone's uh, uh, configuration for sidewalks and bike lanes, etc., is going to be different. And here it's kind of a, a political struggle. And mm -hmm. uh, from an ACB perspective, I think it's best if uh, our members join with other uh, organizations that are concerned uh, about e-bikes. This could be other um, bike groups. Uh, my understanding is that a lot of traditional bicyclists don't want to see these uh, e-bikes on bike lanes, so they may have some opposition. Uh, also, organizations like America Walks and Vision Zero uh, might be relevant. I think we really have to join up with other coalitions if we're going to come uh, to some kind of uh, regulatory control. But I don't think we're going to be able to do away with these uh, devices. It's going to be a matter of trying to trying to live with them. And unfortunately, as you said, uh, they are occupying occupying space on sidewalks that are generally quite narrow. Uh, in fact, under the access boards public rights of way guidelines that are in draft. Uh, their requirement for an accessible sidewalk is only four feet wide. So mm. if you get yourself a four foot wooden ruler, you're gonna see that that's not very wide in terms of passing and uh, pedestrians and wheelchair use. So in some ways we have a lack of space and many uh, devices and sidewalk furniture and other things competing for uh, a small amount of space. And uh, so that's going to require some uh, significant regulation if we're going to reduce injuries. Yeah, that's a really good point. I really like that you brought up the idea of even the weight of the vehicles because it's true, you know, trying to move them or if they tip over or if they brush by you, those are all factors that should be considered as well. Um, so thanks for bringing that up. Um, and and what, I, what I hear about in, in Europe is that they're often used by older men who don't oh. have uh, ability to uh, use a, a traditional bicycle uh, anymore because of uh, uh, lack of strength. Mm -hmm. But that means that uh, the difficulty in maneuvering and slowing on time, and etc., gets enhanced because reaction times are lower. Yeah. I know they're really popular here in the DC area. People um, refer to them as like the first and last mile um, functions of uh, transportation because you take the metro, but then you have one more mile to go or vice versa. Um, so they're used for ease of access and they also have environmental um, uh, benefits you know instead of people driving everywhere you use these devices and they don't hurt the environment so there are definite definite um, positives for them but then as we've been talking about they have a lot of negatives as well um, so do you have any comments on like for instance the speed uh, are there have there ever been discussions on how fast or slow they should go well, there, there have been lots of different limitations uh, 
you know, 15 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour. Um, but uh, I think that uh, if we can come to an agreement about speed at a national level, that would be uh, best. We also have to deal with the issue of the fact that they don't make a lot of noise. So yes. the analogy would be to the quiet, quiet car law. Uh, that required uh, a tone for vehicles uh, moving at uh, less than 18 miles an hour, for example. And that should be equally applicable to e-scooters. Then you have the issue of helmets. Many people using mm -hmm. bikes and e-scooters don't wear helmets. Yeah. So one question is, and this would be a state or local issue, do you require helmets or not? And finally, who enforces all these things? Police have enough to do. They don't really even... Uh, adequately enforce traffic laws with cars. Yeah. So if we add this whole new layer of enforcement responsibilities, um, you know, we're we're going to have to deal with the reality of uh, a short a shortfall of money for enforcement. That's a really good point. Um, you just spoke um, about the speed limit and that it should be a national speed limit development. Do you think that all policies that concern um, e-scooters, et cetera, should be at a federal level, a state level, a local level, or a mix of all of those? Well, I, I think the federal involvement is going to be relatively uh, limited. Uh, as I said, I think most of the regulations are going to be at the state or even more likely at the local level, just as they are with, uh, you know, traffic ordinances and motor vehicle violations. For sure. Great. Well, thank you. This has all been really, really interesting to talk about and get perspectives from people in different locations throughout the country. Do you have any final comments on what you think should be done or shouldn't be done or anything you're seeing in your local community that's been positive or negative? Um, I think that one of the problems in this area is who's responsible for what? Yeah. Um, you know, these, these, that Lime and Bird and other uh, scooter companies that rent these things out, you know, they're not the ones driving them. The people who are driving them have put their, you know, credit card in and gotten the bike for 20 minutes or whatever. Um, but you don't have any way to uh, hold those people accountable unless the police are involved. So um, the business model is iffy and it's iffy for maintenance. And maybe we have to do some uh, litigation or public nuisance. Mm. Uh, the states can sue just like they have done with the opioid uh, makers and claim uh, some uh, lack of uh, regulation or control could create a public nuisance. And that way hold some of these uh, rental uh, agencies, the birds and the limes, et cetera, uh, to a higher level of accountability than they face now. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much. I can tell you guys, our listeners out there, that ACB does continue to talk with um, the different com companies like Uber, et cetera, who are developing these micro mobility systems um, to try to come to solutions that'll help. But I think that's a really good point that we also have to look at the local governments, et cetera, um, local law enforcement. So we encourage all of our members out there, we can't be everywhere at once. So please get involved and get engaged in your local community. Um, and that's a perfect segue to talk to our next um, presenter, our next speaker, who has gotten involved at her local level and put her two cents in because of, unfortunately, her own experiences. So we'll be back in just a minute and we'll hear from yet another ACB member who comes from a totally different state from Tennessee and Nashville who can give her experience as well. So thank you so much, Chris, for being with us.
everybody. So we're back. Um, for those of you who have been listening to the first half of our podcast, we just spoke with one of our members of ACB from North Carolina, Chris Bell, who gave us his input on the issues we're seeing with micromobility and how it impacts the blind community and some solutions he thinks might be helpful to, you know, eliminate the problem and deal with the issues we're seeing. We'd love to hear from other ACB members on what you guys think we should be doing to help, you know, solve some of these problems. So feel free to reach out to us with any solutions you think would be helpful when dealing with safety for blind pedestrians. But we're now joined with another speaker or another guest. <coughs> so we're really excited. I think this is our first podcast where we're talking with two people from two totally different places. Um, mm -hmm. But our next guest is Joanne. I'm going to say your last name wrong. Is it Stombau? Am I saying it's that right? Stomba. Stomba. Well, okay. Stomba. Perfect. Um, so you are coming at us from Nashville. That's correct, right? Yes, ma'am. Do you want to just briefly introduce yourself to everybody? Sure. Um, I'm Joanne Stomba. I used to be Joanne Cox. I'm from current, uh, originally from Delaware. Um, my husband and I moved here in 2008. And um, the city has grown immensely since we moved here. Um, and my my daughter lives here also. She actually was the reason we moved here because she moved three years before us. So um, I'm retired. I'm second vice president of the Mid Tennessee Council Blind, um, and we're a very active organization, very active chapter. That's great. We love to hear about active chapters. So we, um, I was reaching out to some people to talk about this issue and your name came up because I was told you had your very own unfortunate incident with some micromobility vehicles. So do you mind just jumping in and telling us a little bit about your experience? No, sure. Um, it, it was one of those things where you don't really think about issues sometimes until they affect you directly. And, you know, I'd heard about the scooters. It was all over the news and, and I didn't really think about it until my husband and I went downtown to dinner and we usually don't even go downtown anymore because the parking's horrendous and just so much congestion down there. And um, one of the issues too is my husband um, has mobility issues. So he is mm -hmm. on a walker. Okay. And, and so um, we went downtown and we uh, parked our car and we had to walk a few blocks. Well, we okay. got to, we got to the restaurant and um, there was a scooter on the sidewalk, which they're not supposed to be, uh, blocking the doorway. Oh, wow. So, so we turned around, and fortunately, there's another door uh, around the corner <clears throat> on the other side. So uh, we went in that way, and I didn't even think to mention it to anybody. It was just kind of irritating at the time. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, there was more and more talk about the scooter situation and and things like that. And fortunately, my husband was with me and he had, he is fully sighted. Um, so we could find another door. But my my thought was, what if I was by myself and encountered it with my cane? I wouldn't have known even what it was because I've never really even felt one. Um, and I, you know, I just didn't know what I would have done. And through talking to uh, a lot of council, my council members and um, other people, about the situation and hearing it, it was more and more frequent uh, people with disabilities were being affected by that that um, one of the news two um, reporters down here got a hold of me and did an interview with me on the 22nd of May because it was a very oh. hot very hot topic at the time with yes the, yeah on the on the news 
and um, politically and everything else with the, you know, all the mayors and Metro council members and stuff like that. So, <clears throat> so she did a re uh, report, an interview with me at my house. And, um, you know, we talked about the issue and I explained what had happened. And I just told her, I said, my husband has the walker. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we found another door, but if that door had had steps then he couldn't get up either. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, and, um, then I found out that we had a, a blind uh, woman down here that was uh, had some serious injuries from a fall over a scooter. She tripped oh over Oh my one. gosh. Oof. Yes. Yes. And uh, just, you know, some, a couple of people have been hit. One, one, at least one person has died, um, you know, from a scooter accident. And it's just, uh, you know, it, it just got so way out of hand. So uh, yeah. that's, that's really what happened. Yeah, I was on Facebook this morning, um, you know, just scrolling and seeing what my friends are posting. And a friend of mine who is legally blind, she posted about, you know, on her way to work today, there was a scooter, you know, perpendicular on the sidewalk right there. So nobody could get through, whether you use a white cane or a wheelchair or whatever, you know, even right. people who regular pedestrians, nobody could get through. So exactly. Yeah. Well, it's exciting to hear that you guys reached out and talked to people about it and, you know, didn't just kind of let it go, but you, you know, you, you used your voice to, to speak out. What kind of responses did you get from people? Were they pretty receptive or understanding? Well, it was very, it was very interesting and, and, uh, you know, maybe it was coincidence, but uh, I thought it was funny that uh, the next day after my news interview, um, mm -hmm. our mayor, former mayor, Briley, well, he's, he's mayor until September 28th and then we have an, a new mayor coming in okay. but he uh he uh the next day after my interview he said he wanted to ban all scooters oh, wow. and I think I think the concern concern was just at a high point uh for safety for everybody yeah and um you know so I, I thought that was interesting um and I have no idea uh what they're going to do it's kind of like in a holding pattern right now because we're changing some metro count uh, metro council officers and some um, you know the mayorship is changing so we're kind of in a, a holding pattern but they did uh, decrease the fleet of scooters uh, okay. by by half mm -hmm. so they have they have done that they have okay. put they have put corrals in place uh, which are kind of just fenced off areas where they're supposed to park them yeah um, but then that takes away parking places for cars yes. which is which is at a premium here now so um one of the things that had been discussed uh, i had been invited with some of my other council members and other people with disabilities also to a, a scooter a luncheon by lime scooters which is one of the companies mm -hmm. and, and um they discussed some of the things that they're trying to do uh, you know they want to get racks put up where they can put them out of the way and um they're trying to give away helmets and things like that um so we had a very open dialogue and i thought that was um i thought that was good that's good um, yeah. but you know i said you can legislate till the cows come home but if people aren't going to abide by the rules and do what they're supposed to do um then we don't really have enough police to really enforce those laws then it's kind of fruitless yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Chris, who just spoke before you, he brought up that exact same um, 
you know, trouble is that how are you going to enforce it? Um, you know, you can do something, you can come up with policies and ideas, but unless you have somebody to enforce it, what are you going to do? And I thought that was a really good point because as far as priorities go, unfortunately, you know, do you think law enforcement is going to take this issue seriously on top of everything else, you know? Probably exactly. not, but it's still so no. important. So. Yeah, and there's so much else going on, you know, in this city. We're growing at an astronomical rate here. So yeah. um, it, it's, it, it is a problem, and it's unfortunate, yeah. because I think it would be a very good way for people to get around. Um, you know, uh, you could pick one up anywhere almost, find one and, and ride it. Unfortunately, a lot of the people uh, are intoxicated when they're mm. riding. Um, yeah. Which leads to all kinds of problems. Yes. And uh, so, uh, and, you know, they're always driving them on the sidewalk where they're not supposed to be. Um, yes. They're riding them in districts where they're not supposed to be. Actually, they shared on the news one day down here, there was somebody riding on the interstate on one of those. No way. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So, so that's a no-no. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm anxious to see what's going to happen actually within the next couple months with it. Yeah, well, I hope you keep us posted here in the national office. It would be great to hear what happens oh, there in Nashville and then, you know, what we're seeing pop up through all the, you know, major cities throughout the U.S. and seeing how they're dealing with it, because it really seems like it's going to be something that's probably going to be dealt with, at least at a certain level on a state-by-state, state, city-by-city basis, just because no one area is, you know, every, I should say, every area is different from the other, so. Right, right. Yeah. Great. So. Well, is there anything else you think that um, ACB members should be aware of as they deal with this issue? No, I mean, just, you know, let your voice be heard whenever you can. Then, um, you know, because it's important. I mean, just like I, I told the, the news reporter, I said, you know, we are people with disabilities, but uh, first of all, we're just people and we want to be treated like people. But when, you know, issues come up, we, they need to be confronted. And this was this was a very important issue. Yeah, very well put. I really like that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Joanne. We really appreciate it. And thank you to all our listeners who listened to our podcast this week. I hope it was helpful and exciting to hear from two different people and their perspectives on this issue, one from North Carolina and one from Tennessee. So different states, different perspectives, and we can see that micromobility is not going away. It's everywhere across the U.S. And so ACB is going to continue to, to keep an eye on this issue and see how we can advocate for the rights of blind and visually impaired Americans. Um, as always, uh, keep an eye out for our next episode of ACB Advocacy Update next week. If you have any issues, feel free to email us at advocacy at acb.org. Again, that's advocacy at acb.org. I'll make sure Clark reads all the emails. Just kidding, I'll do it too. Um, but we'll make sure we stay up to date with all of your emails. And we hope you join us next time. And as we always say, keep advocating. I'm gonna make a time